part two of Mormonism's secret history in the 19th century time frame next on Polygamy. What love is this? This is part two of our discussion of the book Secret History, an eyewitness account of the rise of Mormonism, written in 1876 by John Amundsen, a Danish Mormon convert. Now, any study of early Mormon history must include polygamy because in those days, polygamy was a must for Mormons if they wanted exaltation. We need to say here, of course, a disclaimer <laughs> that the Bible does not teach the concept of Mormon exaltation. Now, the author discovered that he and thousands of other European converts had been deceived about Mormonism and their practices, especially polygamy. He wrote this book about his own experiences in the Mormon church and his discovery of their deceptions. Some of what he wrote were secrets in those days, but today, especially <laughs> with the internet, yep. much of it isn't so secret anymore. However, we thought we would share from his viewpoint what a 19th century disillusioned Mormon from Denmark had to say about this new religion called Mormonism. We ended part one with the admission by Joseph Smith to some close friends that the story of the gold plates was a hoax, and since so many people believed it, Joseph Smith said that he would continue with his false claims. Yeah. We also read affidavits signed by dozens of people who testified to the questionable character of Joseph Smith and his family. Um, and we do understand now uh, that people can change. We yeah. know that, especially after receiving Jesus and his sacrifice for our sins into our hearts and lives. However, that does not seem to be the case as we study <laughs> the details of Joseph Smith's spiritual history. Even up to his death, um, he continued to lie about his activities in polygamy, as well as deceiving the Mormon people and the general public in so many other ways. There is no evidence that he repented or recanted his past moral failures or deceitful and fanciful stories regarding the beginning of Mormonism and Mormon polygamy. The author of this book goes into great detail of the events surrounding the birth of the Book of Mormon. He talks about the hoax of the Kinderhook plates mm -hmm. and how Joseph Smith was taken in and his claims of being an authentic translator of ancient language was proven false. That's very interesting study yeah. for any of our viewers. It's interesting that the author of this book had such great insight into the events and into the character, religious aspect, and so much of the background that surrounded Mormonism at that time. Yeah. Relatively few people write about it, but the information is available for any Mormon or polygamist who genuinely wants to discover the truth about Joseph Smith, his false polygamy revelation, and the Mormon religion in general. Now, most of these events have actually been Mormonism's deep secrets. They were kept from the world and from the Mormon people. But many excellent and accurate websites shed the light of truth on their dark secrets. Some of these websites include utlm.org, irr.org, mormonthink.com, mrm.org, hismin.com, and several other reliable internet sites. And of course, Earl, you've got a website for your ex-Mormon files. We do, exmormonfiles.com. And we have a website for, of course, for um, our program, um, 
polygamy, what love is this dot, what love is this dot TV. But um, there are much information out there with all of the references and the footnotes yeah. uh, that to verify that what we speak is the truth. Now we want to go back to the author's book. We quote. Yeah, these are from page ninety three, ninety four. All of the religious content of the Book of Mormon was derived from the Bible. In it is found not only the same doctrines, in part at least, as in the Bible, but also the words and identical sentences. Yes, even entire chapters like six of the prophet Isaiah, for example, and a chapter from Malachi, three from the Gospel of Matthew, and a chapter from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. Thus, the Book of Mormon does not have the slightest significance in religious understanding and in regard to ascetics, it is found to be so full of self-contradictions and absurdities, like some wretched defective who would like to downgrade every other author except an ig ignorant boy like Joseph Smith. It is downright ridiculous to accept an all-wise God as the source of such a botched piece of work. <laughs> He tells it like it is. Anyway. He tells it like it is. And Anne Eliza Young, in her book, said the same thing. When she read, um, especially section 132, she yeah. said, who could ever believe that this would come from God? <laughs> so um, we also have an insight, uh, an insightful insight, again, from the author about the value of the Book of Mormon. A book that suffers from so many grievous defects as the Book of Mormon cannot naturally form a secure foundation for religion of divine origin, nor does the Bible really belong to the Mormons who use it only as a decoy for their missionary expeditions. The whole system of Mormonism is built upon the circumstance that its leader, whoever he may be, calls himself a prophet. The moment a man assumes this title and is regarded as a prophet, his power is absolute and his authority unlimited even more unquestionably than kings who rule by the grace of God. Wow. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about that. Yeah, we did um, during a break. In part one. <laughs> yeah. Now, they have obviously, according to this, always used the Bible as a bait and switch technique. You know, where they, they track converts yeah. by, by giving out the Bible, and yet their own articles of faith proclaim distrust of the Bible. That's right. So why would they use a book that they don't trust to lure in the converts? That's deceptive right there. It is. I think the fact that Mor the Book of Mormon uses the these and thous is kind of the... Another reason. Uh, kind of attracts Christian, an unsuspecting Christian that this is a book... Mm -hmm. that sounds biblical. Mm -hmm. you know? And like he said, you know, there's so much that's copied from the Bible. Right. You know, you can compare it and see right. that. So it would sound very spiritual. Right. Now, of course, we're skipping through much of the detail of, of the book. We can't possibly cover it all. But there is a chapter entitled Secret Mormonism, <clears throat> which primarily exposes the highly secretive endowments of the religion. The author wrote that when honest and naive European, European converts had come to Utah and discovered how things really were, they found themselves totally helpless and were forced to put up with what was going on. He said that if a convert didn't have enough moral or physical courage to break away after discovering all that was wrong, and if he had developed close personal relationships within the Mormon culture, he would necessarily acquire an attitude of indifference oh. to what was going on around him. 
and in the religion. He would eventually follow along with the church leaders until he could be trusted to be initiated into the odd <laughs> secrets of the kingdom. Now, Mormon leaders did not then, and I suppose probably not now, they didn't regard anyone as standing in, in full fellowship as a Mormon until he has, was initiated into the mm. secret ceremonies. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of a second level Mormon if you haven't been through the temple. If you haven't been there yet, married, yeah. yeah. So their secret rituals, of course, included plural marriage as well as secret oaths and covenants of signs that make up their secret level. Some called them gifts from on high. Well, they're not from on high for sure. He gives a full account of the ceremony, the endowments, the handshakes, the priesthood, the new name, and all of the other rituals that the religion requires. He, he closes that topic with this comment. A society which has to hide itself in the dark cannot be from him who is the light and the father of light. This is my motive for bringing this all out here into the open. So that's his motive for writing the book. Uh, well, God wouldn't produce <laughs> darkness like is, that. That is so true. That is so <laughs> significant so for yeah. him to say that. Yeah. And it's true today. It, it is. is absolutely true today. Uh, they still conduct their secret ceremonies and rituals in their secret temples and continue building new temples all over the world. Yeah. And they believe in error that those things that they're doing have some value with God and are essential for entering into exaltation. But nothing could be further from the truth. The next chapter is entitled The Danites. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, he called the Danites a band of conspirators, the destroying angels. He said it is a gang of out-and-out -out murderers who have created great fear in many places. The Danites were at work under Joseph Smith of Missouri before they ever came to Utah. Thomas Marsh, who was a justice of the peace of Missouri, swore a legal affidavit about the Mormons' activities. We quote, it is the plan of the prophet Joseph Smith to take possession of this state, and he assures his people that it is his purpose to conquer the United States and, in the end, the entire world. I believe that these are the prophet's plans. It is the teaching of the prophet and the faith of the people that his revelations are superior to the laws of the land. I have heard the prophet say that he would yet tread his enemies down and walk over their dead bodies, and that if they did not leave him in peace, he would become a second Mohammed to this generation and would make this country to be a sea of blood from the Atlantic Ocean to the Rocky Mountains. Just as Mohammed, Mohammed's motto was the Koran or the sword, so it would become Joseph Smith or the sword. Wow. Thomas B. Marsh. Yeah, and he was a justice of the peace. <laughs> Now, there are a lot of historical records and books written by, about um, Porter Rockwell and Wild Bill Hickman and John D. Lee, and these men were Mormon executioners. And like I mentioned before, I've got the two books. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't got one on Porter Rockwell yet, though, but I probably should. But these things that he's saying are not um, just hearsay. The, no. These things are well real, documented. real ha yeah, yeah. really happened. Now, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young required vengeance, and it was meted out by the secret Danite bands. Anyone who wants to know the true history about these can easily find the uh, details in historical books. Now, this book that we're reviewing here, Secret History, has plenty of footnotes and references in, within its pages. 
uh, to the Mormon documents that are and historical documents that are verifying what he's writing about. One final quote about the Danites is by, by Brigham Young is this. Yeah, this is from the Desert News. Yeah. <laughs> Actions speak louder than words, and we have it from Brigham Young's own mouth in the following statement concerning him. If anyone comes here and does not conduct himself the way he should, then he will not only find Danites, who are so much spoken of, who will bite their horses' heels, but such wretches will find something that will bite into their own heels as well. In my plain spoken comments, I only called things by their rightful names. And, and like you said, this is, the, this is from the Deseret News. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if you've read much in the Journal of Discourses, but there are so many sermons, so many sermons that are vengeful, yeah. that are hateful. Well, I have read in their own words the, the, yeah. the book by Bill McKeever that I use so often as references. And a lot of those are, are from the Journal of Discourses, and mm -hmm. they're, just, they're so bold in their statements and so... So mm -hmm. proud uh, mm -hmm. statements. Yeah, and threatening. Threatening, There's yes. There's a lot of that. Very much. And, and um, it, it's kind of shocking that a religion <laughs> would have that kind of a would platform. Would have to resort to that yes. as opposed to love. Yes. <laughs> the next chapter of his book is entitled The Fruits and begins with Jesus' words from Matthew seven sixteen: By their fruits you shall know them. And he writes about some very rotten fruit. <laughs> he talks about Judge Cradlebaugh, who came to Southern Utah in a judicial position. He described his district in Southern Utah as having one crime after another committed there, and yet no one has been had been punished for any of their crimes during the previous two years. It was lawlessness, he said, Mormons protecting Mormons. <laughs> Now, the judge continued to examine the terrible crimes which were being proven in every detail, yet without the support of the governor of Utah. So, he was unable to accomplish very much because Mormon criminals enjoyed the protection of the Mormon people. We quote, yep. For as he wrote in his court records, the whole people stood in organized and united resistance against the enforcement of legal justice. What do you call this? Well, is there a name for this, for a culture that works no, this there, way? I'm sure there is. A, a theocracy, but it's, it was evil. It wasn't, it no. wasn't a good theocracy. No. It's just awful. Um, and even today, you know, as I work with some of the things I work with, there seems to be an organized and united resistance against obtaining justice for those who have been abused in polygamy groups who try to escape and take their children with them to find a better and a safer life. But the Utah legal justice system too often takes sides against the one who tries to get away. Mm. I've seen that so many, many times. And polygamy is illegal. Yeah. And yet they will take the side of the polygamist. Where, where mothers have to leave their children behind and leave them in the polygamy Court group. fights and all that. Yeah. And of course, she doesn't have the money to fight no. for her kids and he does. So it's mm -hmm. awful. The author of the book tells the story of the parish murders. Now, this is one of the many parts of early Utah Mormon history every single faithful Mormon should read. It, it not, it's just, just one example of how the Mormon hierarchy refused to allow apostates to escape. There was an old man by the name of William Rice Parrish who was a member of the Mormon church, and he had been a member for many years, and he was financially very well off. <clears throat> However, 
because of a dispute about the ownership of two prime horses and a wagon, certain handpicked men from the Springville Ward, led by Bishop Aaron Johnson, at night <laughs> ambushed and murdered Parrish and his son William. Now, Parrish had become tired of the church's tyranny and decided that he'd take his wife and sons and move to California. He kept his departure plan secret, but spies were sent, mm. named, and their names were Potter and Durfee, who were pretending to be the Parrish's friends, and they discovered his plan. Now, we're skipping many of the details, but you can find the information in historical accounts. Not official church history. They, they, they've Cloroxed that out. That it wouldn't <laughs> be there. But other historical accounts you can find. But Parrish was murdered before he could leave by those two spies. Um, and this is a testimony that was recorded at the inquest of his death. Yeah, I find this really disturbing. <laughs> in answer to a question put to him in court, he said, When Potter fell, I seized Parrish and killed him with my knife. I knew that Parrish was killed with a knife. Potter died from four pellets in a single shot, which struck him in the left breast, and Beeson Parrish was killed by one or two shots into his body. In line with the rest of the hypocritical travesties, they had Durfee and Oren Parrish arrested on suspicion of murder, but since neither of them, for very good reason, could furnish any information, they were released again. This is the way that Brigham Young saves the souls of non-believers, by having them killed. <laughs> that's something. And that's sad. Yeah. And Brigham Young is considered a spiritual leader, a prophet of God. Well, he was for, yeah. And he did these things. <laughs> I know. You know, this is just a little part of the yeah. ugliness of early Mormon history. And before the parishes were killed, um, a carriage and a pair of horses had been stolen from them. And Parrish's widow appealed to Brigham Young for the return of the carriage after the death, after the murders, because she knew who had taken them, and this is what happened. Yeah, this is the justification. She appealed to Brigham Young to get them back, but from him she received the advice to just keep quiet about it if she wanted to be well off otherwise. The man who had the horses, a certain Lysander G. or Gee, declared that he had received the horses shortly after they had been stolen with orders not to turn them over to anyone else. He drove around with the stolen horses gladly enough while Parrish's widow, who was plunged into poverty and despair, had to live on bread and water. That is the way things go among the Latter-day Saints of the Church of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to wonder why the author wanted to get away. And he writes, he wrote this after he got away, because yeah. he, he left in late 1850s, yeah. and he wrote this in, in the 1876, I think, but, but uh, <laughs> he goes back and then he re, relives all of these things and yeah. writes them all down. Uh, yeah. As we can see, he, Brigham Young, Porter Rockwell, John D. Lee, Wild Bill Hickman, that had no, no sympathy for apostates. No at all. No, they didn't. And um, for a period of time, and, and again, this is another thing that amazes me, Earl, is Mormon Church and polygamy groups have one of their favorite doctrines is freedom to choose. <laughs> that is funny, isn't it? Free but agency. Free agency. But yeah. if you do choose what they don't want you to choose, then you're a dead duck. Yeah. It sounds like an apostate was a dead duck. 
Yeah. If, yeah, if they if they didn't get it like he said in the crowd, they had to get a crowd together and leave as a group, in, so. as a big group, or else they were not, didn't feel they'd be safe getting out. It's sad. it's sad that a religion yeah. can rely on these kinds of things. So again, we repeat Brigham Young's threat. Yeah, again, this is also from Journal of Discourses, Volume One. I say rather than rather than that apostates should flourish here. I will unsheath my bowie knife and conquer or die. Now you nasty apostates, clear out or judgment will be put in, put to the line and righteousness to the plummet. If you say it is right, raise your hands. All hands went up, I guess. Let us call upon the Lord to assist us in this and every good work. So they called upon God. They had the boldness, the audacity to call upon the holy God to assist them in their murderers of apostates. And call it a good work. And call it a good work. Yeah. Brigham Young, in a sermon, said apostates belong to the, become angels of the devil. Heber C. Kimball said apostates' blood would be shed and they would be damned. Orson Hyde said he tended to place terror in the hearts of those who dared to leave these parts of Utah. <laughs> All of this stems from Joseph Smith's attitude towards apostates. Yeah, we quote from a Sidney Rigdon letter to Orson Hyde. It was the imperative duty of the church to obey the word of Joseph Smith or the presidency without question or inquiry, and that if there were any that would not, they should have their throats cut from ear to ear. Okay, there's our beloved Joseph Smith's words on something like this. Yeah. So it didn't just start with Brigham Young. He just brought it forward. And that, of course, proves he was no prophet of God. Yeah, and what reminds me there of, uh, of is uh, in the temple, that is one of the ways life is taken or you're threatened with that if you, and I guess they would say if anybody's been through the temple and then is an apostate, mm -hmm. they probably... De deserve that and that was in the ceremony from, yeah, actually yeah, up yeah. until the 90s 1990 yeah. yeah and they if they if they did reveal anything that was in the ceremony they would cut well and, and have you, their bowels you, cut out too. you took a, the promise that you you would keep these covenants or suffer my life to be taken mm -hmm. and then and you would make the sign of cutting your throat mm -hmm. and and your, two there were three of them totally bowels and then across the chest mm. no that's so, not from god so that was their justification that uh, yeah yeah now there are many other quotes of course about destroying those who attempted to leave the mormon fold and <laughs> polygamous same story mormon yeah. history is polygamy history okay right. <laughs> But it was Jesus Christ who taught us to love and pray for our enemies. Jesus didn't say hunt them down and slit their throats. Now, if this book was the only historical account dealing with these injustices and vengeful practices, if it was the only book available telling about these events, we could rightfully doubt the honesty of the writer. But there are many, many accounts written by different Mormons and polygamists and apostates written at various time periods during the 19th century. There's personal journals and diaries and court documents and newspaper articles and sermons. And they agree on the details. And many of the writers did not even know each other. The last chapter of the book details the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Our viewers can find the heart-wrenching details in many other places as well, because we don't have time to talk about it all here. But Mountain Meadows Massacre is 
um, another testimony from Mormonism that the Mormon church was not God's holy people or holy kingdom. <laughs> Mormon men dressed up like Native American Indians and then massacred over 120 unarmed men, women, and children who were unable to defend themselves. And as we said at the beginning, the book is entitled Secret History, an eyewitness account of the rise of Mormonism. At the time the author wrote about these events, it was secret history to both Mormon and non-Mormon people. But now, because information is more readily available, more historical accounts have been found and verified, and more books published and made public, like we said, the internet is the final blow yeah. to the historical <laughs> whitewashing. These things aren't so secret anymore. But the polygamists and the LDS Church continue to hold deep secrets within their specific organizations. The Mormons are admonished not to reveal what goes on inside their temples. Why the secrecy? Yeah. The polygamists are threatened not to re <clears throat> reveal what goes inside their, on inside their polygamy group and polygamous families. Why the secrecy? The Bible tells us Jesus never said anything in secret. So why do they if they are his church? We encourage our viewers who have an honest desire for truth and the courage to search, to research these things and find the truth. And you'll discover that the Mormon leaders and the historians have whitewashed early Mormon history and hidden their dastardly deeds from their members. We remind again our viewers of Brigham Young's statement that we mentioned in part one. <laughs> we shall pull the wool over the eyes of the American people and make them swallow Mormonism, polygamy and all. <laughs> Don't forget that quote. It's very important. And they pulled the wool over the eyes of their own people brainwashing them to think it was a good thing to do many of the very things that God has forbidden. But how do we reach our loved ones mm. with, with the truth when they reject us for daring to leave their beloved religion and then close their ears to the truth and close their eyes to God's word? Like Jesus said, he who has an ear, <laughs> let him hear. Well, yeah, I think and pray about this a lot, how to get uh. this met. And that's why we do what we do, yes, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Hope, hoping somebody, God will uh, let somebody come across this information and maybe... And check it out. Check it out. Check Study it out. a little bit. I think yeah. that's the biggest thing they can do. And is, that's what we want our loved yeah. ones to do. We got a lot, yeah. both of us between <laughs> us have a lot of loved ones that's yeah, we do. caught up in these faults. Yeah. False beliefs. Thanks, Earl. Yeah, Appreciate my pleasure. Appreciate Thank you. Much. All the work you do on these. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> you know, the writer of the book we just discussed said that the question that Mormonism cannot dispose of is whether the American boy with the golden plates is preferred to the history of Jesus, the child of Bethlehem. Of course, all of Mormonism believes that they can have both Jesus and Joseph Smith, but they can't. Jesus said they can't. He said no one can serve two masters. If you embrace Joseph Smith's religion, then you must reject what Jesus taught and what Jesus did and who Jesus is. If you embrace Jesus Christ, then it is imperative that you reject all of Joseph Smith's ideas and claims. Jesus Christ, the child of Bethlehem, is no one's elder brother. He is not Lucifer's spirit brother. He is Almighty God and the only Almighty God. And that alone discredits totally the American boy with the plates of gold. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. 
Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.